0: Good morning. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Uh, Before we get into the sermon, I just kind of want to reiterate, you know, when it comes to the Philippines, maybe you can't go. Uh, Maybe you're not called to go. And maybe like, you know what, I'm called to go across the street, but maybe not across the ocean. Um, But your money can go ahead of you. And, uh, and so I want, as we begin uh, to announce the Philippines, we're living, leaving at the end of June. So that's about maybe a little bit over a month and a half, maybe two months. And, uh, as we begin to kind of gear up for that, uh, we have some amazing things that are taking place and we'll probably present as we go. Some, uh, some of the things that we'll be doing out there. Um, if you are considering going, Hey, we'd love to talk to you. And if you are, maybe you can't go, um, would you pray about and consider donating um, as uh, a little goes a long way in the Philippines, um, they're a third-world country, and uh, it's a beautiful, hospitable country. Um, and they actually teach us a lot of a lot of things. You think you're going to go over there and minister, and you end up coming home and realizing you didn't really do much ministry in the heart they did to you, you know, and uh, but will you, as you pray with us, will you pray, will you also consider giving um, as we move forward, Um, and just, not just, maybe you can't be there in person, but uh, your dollar can go a long ways in helping us bless them out there, and again, as the weeks come, we'll share with you a little bit more what we'll be doing, uh, so you know where your funds are going, but I just wanted to throw that out there as well, and we have membership class coming up, and we are always excited, it's just an opportunity for you to take your next step. Um, if you've been attending uh, the church for a little bit, if you call Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior and uh, you want to step into discipleship, um, we want to invite you to consider coming to membership. Um, in fact, one of the mottos here is we consider membership to be permission to disciple. And, uh, and so we want to be a church that disciples you. Um, and so uh, if you've been coming for a while, if Jesus is the Lord of your life, and you're ready to take that next step into discipleship, uh, we would love to see you um, on that day. And so uh, we'll be announcing it more. Obviously, you can go to the website, but it's uh, just something I wanted to share. Uh, if you have your Bibles, why don't you open up to Luke chapter 7 uh, or your Bible apps, uh, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Um, And we're going to read all the way through 50. We'll also have it up here for you on the screens, but I would love for you to follow along if you can. Last week, we started our champion sermon series, uh, and we... We kind of last week we started this series with a simple yet life-changing truth. Are you ready for this simple yet life-changing truth? Uh, you know how like when you when you go and you uh, you watch a movie or maybe better yet with a self-help book, they always tell you you know look eight steps to changing your life. Right? Uh, if you just here are the three keys that are going to make everything better. And if you read this book or if you go to this seminar, uh, you're all of a sudden going to walk out empowered with the knowledge that we change your life well I'm going to give you a a simple yet life-changing truth are you ready now that I set it all up you guys are like don't let me down Philip here we go if I let you down that was on you but here let me tell you what that life-changing truth is are you ready okay you guys are not excited this morning church are you ready okay all right (laughs) Jesus is a friend of sinners If there's any life-changing truth, if there's any life-transforming, life-altering truth, it's that Jesus is a friend of sinners. And that, for me, is a reason to be excited because, like Paul said, I'm the chief of all sinners. If you only knew what I used to do, you probably wouldn't even come to church on Sunday morning. If I exposed to you everything, let me get out because I don't need a lightning bolt to strike me on the pulpit because it's so holy. If you only knew who I used to be, if you only knew what I used to do in the dark you wouldn't even be listening to me this morning but thank God that Jesus is a friend of sinners thank God is there somebody in here would say thank God that Jesus is a friend of sinners now uh, I know I know we're we're a quiet church sometimes I get it that's kind of the culture that we've created but I want to say there's something to be emotionally excited about it's the fact that he's a friend of sinners Thank God that Jesus meets rebels and he's not intimidated by them. He's not intimidated by the thugs. He's not intimidated by the so-called gangsters. He's not intimidated by the strong men in life. But he meets rebels where they're at. He goes to the rebels' house, if you were with us last week. And you know what? Thank God that Jesus is not concerned about the opinions and criticisms of other people. You know, we may be, well, I'm not going to go to that person's house and tell them about Jesus because, God forbid, so-and-so sees me hanging out with that kind of person. But thank God Jesus doesn't care about his reputation. He doesn't care about what other people say about him. He's more concerned about his reputation with God than he is with man. He's always doing what the Father tells him to do. And in doing this, can you hear, here's the beauty of this. In going to the rebel's house... And, and not being intimidated by the so-called sinners, and not worrying about the criticism and opinion of others. You know what Jesus does when he goes to those that are considered rebels and sinners and outcasts? You know what he does? As he comes to them, and as he meets them, he heals them. Yeah. And let me tell you what, I'm not talking about an arm being healed or a blind man being healed. He heals the heart. He heals wounded hearts, hearts that have been rejected by society, hearts that have been abandoned by the church. Because sometimes the deepest scars are the scars that come from the religious people. Sometimes the deepest scars are not the scars that come from the people on the streets, but the people in the synagogues. And so Jesus, by going to the people in the streets, he heals their hearts because they're used to leaders rejecting them. They're used to churches kicking them out. But Jesus says, I'm going to come to you. You know, in a world where religion has taught people that you must go to God. But before you go to God, you must be clean. Jesus flips that upside down, and he teaches. He says, "No, I'm going to come to you, and it doesn't matter how dirty you are." This is why Jesus is our champion, and I love this. He's our unconventional champion. Any any boxing fans in here? You know, when somebody has an unconventional style. They go into the ring, and, and, and the person that's been preparing has been fighting one type of fighter their whole lives. But all of a sudden, they face somebody with an unconventional style. Maybe he's a lefty, and maybe he stands in a different way, and maybe he ducks, ducks and dives. and Do you understand what I'm saying? And Jesus is an unconventional champion. He has an unconventional style. Jesus is the king that nobody expected, and he brings a kingdom that's upside down. He brings a kingdom that's upside down. You might be asking, what do you mean by a kingdom that's upside down? Jesus initiates a kingdom culture. You want to know what the kingdom culture is? He initiates a kingdom culture where the first are last, the proud are brought low, and the humble are exalted. Never before in the history of humanity has a king ever brought a kingdom where the proud are brought low, the first are made last, and the humble are exalted. Jesus is the champion of the outcast. He's the champion of the rebel. He's the champion of the sinner. He's the champion of the marginalized and the oppressed in society. He is our champion. And I love this Jesus is not only the people's champ, but he's also the Father's champ. Muhammad Ali fans. The original people's champ? No? Not not many Muhammad Ali. What about The Rock? Anybody know The Rock? WWF, WWE? Yeah, you guys know The Rock more than Muhammad Ali. <laughs> it's fake, y'all! No, just kidding. It's not. It's real. It really is. <laughs> but uh, Jesus is the people's champ. But I love this. He's also the father's champ. You want to know why? Because he champions the father's heart. He champions the Father's heart to a world. Say, so Jesus corrects the world that has gotten it all wrong. He comes to champion the heart of the Father because the world has the heart of the Father incorrectly. and So he provides a corrective experience in those moments. And so this morning, I want to pray, and I want to continue to pray. Last week, we started this champion series, and I shared with you my two prayer requests um, for the next couple of weeks as we pray. And so I want to repeat them, and then I want to pray. The first prayer request is I want to pray for the church. And here's why I want to pray for those that consider yourself the church. I want to pray that your eyes would be open and you'd be made more aware of your self-righteous attitudes that have a tendency to make people feel left out i want to pray uh i want to pray for that that mentality and the lord tells you to go to someone and to love on them or just to speak to them that thing that says inside of us like no that they're too far from god i want to pray i want to pray against that. may inspire church break that spirit off of us amen and then uh, secondly, I want to pray, um, those of you who are far from God, some of you are like, yeah, get to church. Well, now it's your turn, okay? Those of you that feel far from God, here's what I want to do. I want you just to know who Jesus is. Will you, can you just stop letting all these peripheral things get in the way of seeing the beauty of Jesus? Can you let your walls down? Can you let your guard down to Jesus? And, and here's, here's the challenging part. Will you put your guard down, and will you put your walls down, and will you learn to trust Jesus even when trusting him means doubting your feelings? Because faith collides at the intersection. Faith collides at the intersection of when your feelings begin to contradict your faith. When your feelings begin to contradict his word, that's when you have a choice to make. You hear me? I've seen a lot of people love the Lord and move towards him and get passionate and excited about him. But then there's a moment in their life where he says, here's my word and here's my feelings. You're either gonna go left or you're gonna go right. And because the individual can't trust beyond what they feel, they always go towards what they feel. And so here's what I wanna pray. I wanna pray that if you feel far from the Lord uh, today that you would learn to let your guard down and would you just trust Jesus? Even when you're blind and you don't know where he's going, but as long as he's guiding you, I'm going to tell you something. Jesus is a better guy than your feelings. I'm going to tell you that this morning. So let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would move on the hearts of our church and those that would consider them part, themselves part of the body of Christ. Will you, will you make us aware of our self-righteousness? that causes people to feel marginalized? Will you make us more aware of those things and those, per, those attitudes uh, that may make people feel like they're, not, they're, too, they're too dirty or they're not clean enough? And secondly, will you touch the heart of a few people in here that feel far from you? And will you, will you, will you beckon them? Will you call them to look and focus on you? You're the author and finisher of their faith. And so i just pray jesus that you would be made glorified in this place and we ask these things in jesus name we pray
1: i guess my story starts in high school i've gone to christian school my entire life k through 12 and then college but high school is really where things became complicated um i was really great at theology i was into the Bible classes, I memorized all the verses, but I knew my relationship with God was superficial. Even when I prayed, I knew something was missing. Um, I kind of almost separated my two lives. I did my school thing, and then when I came home, I was on the computer doing my home thing. And I was so involved and engaged in Um, sexually explicit content online so from my experience of sexual misconduct when I was very young with someone who was not very young um, and not in my family um, I had this foundational truth that women are worthless unless they're sexually being used and so I felt ashamed for years of my life because I wasn't sexually involved with anyone throughout uh, my high school or most of my college years and so that created a really um, even a, I don't know, a worse form of lust, one that is based off of hating people instead of even wanting them at all. I wasn't able to take the two parts of me and put them together, and I never understood why. Um, It was really difficult as a young woman at a Christian school who was a little bit of a goody two-shoes to have this sense of self that was so separated. Um, I knew that I wasn't like the other girls at my school. I wasn't comfortable talking about what really was sexual sin with anyone around me. Not my teachers who I respected, not my friends who I wasn't really vulnerable with and didn't connect with on a deep level. And so this was something I struggled with for years. So when I was in college, I said, oh, church isn't for me. Um, I actually did not go to church for the four years that I was there, except occasionally during the summers. When I did, I just felt like everything everything was too superficial. It didn't really reach me. No one was talking about women who were addicted to pornography or who had issues with their sexuality. They talked about men like this, but they didn't talk about women. And it just felt false, and it didn't feel like it was for me.
0: If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and read Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. We'll also have it up here for you on the screen, but if you can follow along, I'd like to encourage you to do so. Luke chapter 7, uh, verse 36 through 50, and Jesus is our champion, and this morning I'm excited to present to you hope. And the scripture reads like this. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. Now, this is a Pharisee asking Jesus to come over to eat with him. Uh, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him and went into the Pharisee's house and, rec- and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair, with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to Simon, Simon. I have something to say to you. Can we just stop right there? Anytime Jesus says your name and says, I have something to say to you, just put your seatbelts on because you know you're about to get it, it one way or another. It with much love and mercy and grace in his eyes. But you're about to get it. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. is this who even forgives sins and he said to the woman your faith has saved you go in peace now i want to take uh some time today to talk to you about the pharisees religion the sinner's salvation and the champion's ministry The Pharisees' religion, the sinner's salvation and the champion's ministry. And let me just tell you a little bit about the Pharisees' religion to open up. You see, Simon was a Pharisee who had invited Jesus over to eat. Now, I don't want you to, I want to tell you a little something about Pharisees. Pharisees were considered the religious conservatives of their time. The Pharisees were also considered to be the leading voices in the Jewish culture during their time as well. In fact, the word Pharisee itself means separate. And uh, which tells us that the, sep- the Pharisees loved to look holy. Their job was to look separate, to not look like the rest. So it was common that you would find a Pharisee walking down a busy marketway with a long flowing robe and being in prayer. It was common that you would see a Pharisee uh, who would, when he was fasting, he would cover himself in ash and he'd walk around uh, as if he were in such dire need. It was common to see a Pharisee when it became time to give in the offering, the Pharisees would be the first to give they would be the biggest givers but they would make sure that everyone knew how much they were giving see for the pharisee it was all about appearances this is why jesus in the gospels is continually rebuking the pharisees and this is why in the gospels it's the pharisees that are jesus's biggest opponents so when simon a pharisee invites jesus over for a meal this isn't a friendly gesture y'all This is an opportunity for Simon to assess the character and credibility of this so-called holy man. So when this woman with a bad rap, so when this woman with a bad reputation enters into Simon's house uninvited and unannounced, behaving in a way that would be considered extremely inappropriate towards Jesus, it provided a perfect opportunity for Simon to sit back and see how Jesus will respond. But to Simon's surprise, instead of Jesus rebuking her and pushing her away, Jesus said nothing. Now that's all that Simon needed to see. Because if Jesus was really who he said he was, if he was really a prophet sent from God, if he was really a holy man, if he was really all that he said, he wouldn't know what kind of woman this was who was touching him. And in Simon's mind, are you ready for this? Jesus was deemed and disqualified. He was disqualified, and he was considered not credible. You want to know why? He was, considered, he was disqualified because Jesus allowed sinners to get close enough to touch him. Now, I want to talk to you about three lies the Pharisees' religion tells I want to tell you about the three lies that the Pharisees' religion tells. And the first lie is the lie of categorizing sin. It's the lie of categorizing sin. This is the lie that convinces us that some sins are more disgusting than others. There are some sins that are more deplorable than others. You see, I do this, but at least I don't do that. This is the lie of categorizing sin. It's the lie of the Pharisees' religion. And it was the lie that Simon had bought into in this moment. It was almost as if Simon was thinking to himself, well, God stomachs some sins that we categorize as not so bad. But he vomits at the sight of some sins that we categorize as real, real bad. And this is really important. I really want you to see this. The Pharisees' religion emphasizes the amount The Pharisees' religion emphasizes the amount. See, 500 versus 50 is a different kind of amount. Are you with me? But God looks at the inability of both debtors to pay. The Pharisees emphasize how much they owe, but God understands that it doesn't matter whether you owe five million today. Somebody in here today, you think you're so full of sin that you are in debt to God. Millions and millions of dollars, and some of you, unfortunately, think you only owe them about five bucks. Can I tell you something this morning that you really need to hear, especially those of you that feel like you're in so indebted to God, you'll never ever be able to pay Him back? I want to tell you something about the Pharisees' lie. The Pharisees' lie is yeah, you owe a lot, baby. Don't come back. But I want to tell you something what Jesus said. Jesus said this it doesn't matter how much you owe. What matters most is you owing five million and you who think you owe five, you both are bankrupt. You both lack the ability to pay me back. You both don't have what it takes. You don't have the currency. You see, the currency is perfection and you can't pay it. Every single one of us in here, we're spiritually bankrupt because every single one of us in here can't afford to pay God back. A second lie the Pharisees' religion tells. The first is categorizing sin. The second one has to do with excusing sin. This lie convinces us that God overlooks some sin. The not so bad ones, God kind of overlooks that. And so when we begin to think that in our lives, when we begin to carry that mentality, we get really good at downplaying our own faults, and we get really, really good at finding the faults of others. Can I just be honest with you? I struggle with this sometimes. Like, there are some people that are really good at finding, like, faults with others, right? There are some counselors, amen? They can pick you apart, baby. They can tell you all the problems that you got, but have you ever talked to somebody have you ever sat down with somebody and they would just started to list all these things that was going on? You know, brother so-and-so, he's just so impatient. You know, she's just with her children. Do you see how when she, you know, she kind of grabs him by his hand and yanks him, right? You know, did you see how she did that Do you? You know, I, in the scriptures, I think, you ever met that person? It's me. So you have met that person, okay? <laughs> and have you ever sat there while they're talking and, like, you know that their issues are pretty glaring, too? And you ever thought to yourself, like... Well, you're not, you're not really perfect yourself. As a matter of fact, some of the things that you see so clearly, it's actually you see it because it's in you too. We're so good at picking people apart. And I'm going to be honest with you. If anyone needs help, I got you. You want to say, you know what, I need my life picked apart. Call me up. We'll go to Starbucks. I got a list. I got a list. I'm really good at it. I do it at the mall all the time. I did it yesterday. The things we do for a joke, huh? No, but I'm being honest. Um, You know, we're told a lot that we are our own worst critic. And you know, it's true. We could really criticize ourselves. But when it comes to sin, we downplay all day long. Like when it, we are our worst critic, but when it comes to like sin, we like excuse ourselves and give ourselves permission. Oh, we're going through a healing process, you know. Or God has been, I was, you know, I was at the altar the other day. The Lord's been praying with me, He's been working on this. And all of a sudden, that same thing we apply to ourselves, brother so and so, sister so and so, don't get none of that. So we are our own worst critic, there's no doubt in my mind, but I think when it comes to sin, we have the ability to downplay and excuse. And I I like to advise, like this is a good leadership principle, but I also just think this is a good discipleship principle. Are you ready? Here's what I like to tell leaders, here's what I like to tell myself, but here's a good discipleship principle. Always take an inner look first. Whenever someone offends you, take the inward look first. Because our first instinct is to blame, to excuse, to pacify ourselves, and to look towards someone else. In fact, use the sandwich method. Y'all ever heard of the sandwich method? The sandwich method is anytime you got to speak with somebody, you want to tell them something that may not be so nice, uh, you just make a sandwich. So there's bread, and then there's meat, and then there's bread, right? And so the bread acts as the encouragement. So you walk in, you say, hi, how are you? You encourage them. And then you bring in the meat you tell them, hey, this is an area where I'm a little frustrated. And then you end with encouragement. That way someone feels like, well, i got more encouragement than discouragement today. Right? So you got, some of you will pick that up when I do it to you. Amen? You'll do it back to me. Pastor, that was a great message. Um, but, you know, no, just kidding. But it was really good. But here's what I mean by the silence mes- mes- method when it comes to this. Take an inward look first. Take an outward look second. Then take an inward look again. Look in the mirror. And so we have the first lie that the Pharisee buys into is the lie of categorizing sin. We have the second lie that the Pharisee buys into is the lie of excusing sin. And I want to tell you this. One of Simon's biggest issues was that he failed to realize his sin of pride was just as disgusting in the eyes of the Lord as her sin of prostitution. What Simon failed to realize was his pride was just as filthy before a holy God as her prostitution. Number three. Simon categorizes sin. He justifies, I'm sorry, he categorizes sin. He excuses sin. And number three is he justifies self. I know it says sin up there, but he justifies self. When we begin to fall into the trap of categorizing and excusing sin, here's what happens: we actually begin to convince ourselves that we're pretty good. In fact, we're good enough to earn God's grace. Simon suffered from one of the most severe cases of what I like to call spiritual entitlements. When we think we can earn God's grace, we learn to think too low of God and too high of ourselves. When we think we can earn God's grace, we fill our churches with actors and performers because we place more value on outward appearance than inward transformation. When we think we can earn God's grace, we insult the cross. And we shift the assurance of our salvation from what Christ has done to what we can do. And let me just tell you, that's no assurance at all. When we think we can earn God's grace... And so we, by categorizing sin, excusing sin, and justifying self, it becomes a recipe for what Jesus calls loving little. Loving little. Simon is a representation of what the spirit of religion is good at. Simon is a representation of what the spirit of religion is good at reproducing. You ready for this? The spirit of religion is good at reproducing churches full of people with no tears, no kisses, and no anointing. You know what that means? No repentance, no passion, and no power. You see, Simon, she, she came in and she was crying. She came in and she was kissing. And she came in and she was anointing the feet of Jesus. But a person with a religious mentality in the church with a religious mentality just reproduces a bunch of powerless, passionless disciples. When you downplay your sin, you downplay your God. And you love little. I want to switch gears and talk about the sinner's salvation. You see, contrasted to Simon, who's a religious leader, is a woman who's only identified by her sin. Now, it's obvious that her reputation precedes her, so that everywhere she goes, listen to this, she's referred to by her shame and not her name. And for some reason, the Holy Spirit allowed her to just be put in here, and she's called a woman who is a what? Sinner. She's not even given a name. She's not even given a name. I mean, have you ever experienced in your life anybody calling you by your sin and not your name? Uh, have you ever experienced, do you still experience the enemy through people in your life who are trying to remind you of your past and still call you by what you used to do versus who you are in Christ now? And let me just say this to those of you who have been discipled. Will you stop taking pride in who you used to be? Because God doesn't call you by that, I'm a pimp, or I'm a this, or I'm a that. I'm going to tell you, what, you're not to be called by your sin. You're not to be called by your shame. You're called by your name. And Jesus has given you a new name. I hear this woman. It's obviously her reputation precedes her. And some would argue, well, I don't know, Phil, if she's a prostitute. There may be a lot. We can dialogue or discuss or debate uh, what she might be. And I can take you to Matthew. Jesus is a friend of sinners, tax collectors, and prostitutes. And we can take a look at Luke and file a. But here's what I want to say. Her reputation precedes her. She's known by what she does. Simon thinks what she's doing is inappropriate. It's, there's a pretty good understanding that she may have been some type of woman of the night. Now, can you imagine that room? It's almost like some churches today. Finally, get up enough courage to get into the presence of Jesus. And as you walk in, you you have to be able to look straight at Christ. Because if you look around, people might just stare at you the wrong way. Can you imagine that room as that woman walked into that room? Knowing that everybody in that room knew who she was. Imagine the murmuring as she walked in unannounced. Imagine the courage it took for her, a sinner to walk into Simon's house, a religious leader, and have the audacity to interrupt his meal with Jesus. Yet despite the threat of dishonoring man, she was more concerned about honoring God and meeting Jesus. Now I want to tell you, maybe you've been wounded by the church. Maybe you've been hurt by leaders. And maybe your reputation precedes you and people know you to be that guy or that girl. I want to tell you something we can learn from her. In spite of her knowing she was going to put herself in that position she was more concerned about getting close to Jesus than she was concerned about what anybody else had to say and if you would just put your eyes on Christ if you would put your eyes on him you would see how beautiful he is he's your champion in Simon the Pharisee we saw three lies that produce a heart that loves little now in this woman who's a sinner we see three truths that produce a heart that loves much. Truth number one, brokenness. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This may sound counterintuitive because it is. But remember, Jesus, this is an upside-down kingdom here. Some things he's going to say, some things he's going he's to champion is not going to seem normal to us because our flesh wants to do the exact opposite. Number one is brokenness. This may sound counterintuitive, but hear me out. Seeing and admitting the ugliness of our sin actually can lead us to seeing and experiencing the beauty of Christ's love. I, I know we're not told that. right? I know we're told to just forget and, and, and self-esteem and, and, and conjure up these positive thoughts about yourself. But I want, you, I want to tell you something. The first step of seeing the beauty of Christ is realizing the sin of self. And I know Oprah on her little panel of spiritualists will invite people up. It'll tell you something a little different, right? And I know Dr. Phil on his panel will invite people up and he'll tell you something a little different, And don't get me wrong, I love counseling and I'm a big proponent of it. But here's what I want to see is that the way the scripture works is that there has to be a deconstruction and then a reconstruction. And so the first thing you have to do is before you conjure up all these positive things, you know what, God? I am a sinner broken in need of something greater than I can produce inside of myself. It's brokenness. I'll be honest. Whenever I'm in a worship funk, you ever get in a worship funk? Whenever I'm in a prayer funk, whenever my prayer life becomes dry, whenever I can't seem to find a lot of passion, you know what really helps me? Whenever I just can't seem to be that, I think about my failures and God's willingness to forgive. I think about how I don't deserve to be up here. You see, I know we're supposed to forget, and we're supposed to, And I know that the minute we repent, God throws it as far. I get it. And we don't want to be condemned by the enemy, and so no, there's a difference here. There's a reminder and a condemnation that tells you because of your sin, you're dead, and you can't get close to God. That's condemnation. What I'm suggesting is because, in spite of my sin, God has come to me, and because I put my faith in Him, I stand here not condemned, but I stand here free. But in order for me to get how free I am, in order for me to get, in order for me to understand the beauty of what Christ is done is when I realized the depth of my depravity, how low and dirty I was. You see, Simon correctly concluded when a man has been forgiven, he loves the person who's forgiven him. And the more that he's been forgiven, the more that he loves. And hear me out, this is important. Her her love was lavish and Simon's love was little because she understood the depths of her own brokenness more than Simon understood his. You see, the reason why she can come in there despite all these circumstances, and the reason why her passion and her love can be on display in such a way, and the reason why Simon can stand up there in his ivory tower and sip tea like Kermit, the reason why he could do that, and the reason why she could do it, is because she understands her sin. She knows her sin are many. Simon thinks his sin is little. Simon thinks that it's excusable, but Simon knows what kind of woman she is. But if you look at the story, she loves much and Simon loves little. Wow. The first one is brokenness. The second one is desperation. And I just want to warn you for a minute. This is a quick warning. Your brokenness will either lead you away from God or to God. You know that? Your brokenness can either lead you down a path of desperation or a path of frustration. You see, in my own life, I have been tested. This is me, Philip. I have been tested, and I've seen others tested in this same way. Brokenness will either push you away from God or bring you close to him. We can either see God as the source. We can either see Him as the source of our freedom or the cause of our distress. We can either love God or we can blame God. And I, I want to. Some of you are like, well, how do I know I've been saved? Some of you know people have asked that. Well, you know, I, I said the prayer. You know, I come to church every week. Is that enough? I'm going to tell you, no, that's not enough. You want to know how you know you're genuinely, you've genuinely been saved and the Holy Spirit is doing a work inside of you? I'm going to give it to you really easy. You know that you've been saved and you know the Holy Spirit is truly doing a work in you, in your life, when your failures continue to lead you back to his cross. When your failures continue to lead you back to his cross. Number three forgiveness three truths that led to loving lots loving much brokenness desperation number three forgiveness this woman with a bad reputation of sin worships outrageously and loves lavishly not because she wants forgiveness but because she knows that she's already been forgiven that's important that's important because a lot of us will get this twisted and think that she's trying to earn God's love here Are you with me? This is important. A lot of us are going to read this and think she's trying to earn his forgiveness. In fact, he forgives her afterwards. I want you to know she had already been forgiven. What propelled her beyond her desperation, what propelled her beyond her brokenness, was that she knew that God had already forgiven her. And so she wasn't on her way to get from forgiveness. She was thanking him. Which means she encountered him before we even know. She already had an encounter. Yo, this wasn't her first encounter. She knew that he had already forgiven her. And what was fueling her worship was not to get his attention. What was fueling for her worship is that she already had gotten his forgiveness. And now she was coming back to thank him. That's what worship is. Worship is an authentic thank you to Jesus. Because I realized how dirty and how despicable and how much I owed But I worship because on that cross, Jesus Christ took my sin, took my shame, took my stain. And now I come to church, not because of these people, but first and foremost, I come to church because of Christ. And here's what happens. When I come to church and I focus on Christ, Christ begins to reconcile me to these people. Jesus says, Hugh has been forgiven much. Past tense. Loves much. Present tense. And I want you to look at what kind of love does this. I want you to look at what this kind of love actually does. It propelled her to want to be closer to Jesus despite the critical stares. Despite the judgmental thoughts. Can I challenge you? I want to challenge some of you who feel far from God today. Stop Allowing others to dictate and determine your worship. She had every excuse. I don't like that church. That leader hurt me. Those people talk bad about me. She had every excuse to love little, but because she knew who she was and because she knew who Christ was and because she knew what she had done and because she knew who Christ was and what he'd done for her in forgiving her sins, guess what? She loved little much
1: and I went to college and my first week I had a new laptop and I just was like I'm I'm gonna start fresh I'm I'm not gonna look at pornographic images I'm not gonna go to those websites and I knew that I wasn't equipped to deal with this even though I really knew there was something wrong with it in my very last first class with this woman named Alice. And it was a discipleship class for a relationship with God. And the very first thing she did, she walked us through watching Jesus die on the cross and giving him our sin. And I saw it and I heard him die. And I felt myself completely unable to give to him what I saw as something unredeemable, something that outcasted me and separated me from women in the church, from good women. And after that imaginative prayer, she walked us into a new one where we created this happy place and we invited Jesus into it. And it sounds silly, but it was, those 15 minutes were the biggest experience of my life. So from there, my life took a different turn. Um, I still struggled with everything, but the kingdom of God was around me and I was a part of it. Suddenly I felt like I belonged I had teachers who cared about me. I had one teacher who cared about me so much that she told me to go to therapy. After a year, I realized that a memory I had from when I was five years old was actually one of sexual abuse. I'd never seen it like that before. I understood it from a five-year-old's eyes and not from an adult's perspective. Um, That experience shook me to my core and changed how how I saw myself. I realized that I had this deep foundational truth to my very core that women are utterly worthless unless they're being sexually used. But it was something so foundational from when I was a young age that I I didn't know how to change it. But then God did through that community that he put in my life, through those women I met in college, through those mentors who took on this broken, needy girl who didn't know what she needed, wanted, or was missing. You know, I still picked the wrong guys, I still put myself in terrible positions with men, Um, but somehow that just didn't matter. It didn't matter as much as the God I now knew. Today we read Luke 4 about the sinful woman. And when I was asked to give my testimony, I read through it. And for the first time in my life, I saw an incredible parallel to her life. I'd always thought how inappropriate it was for the woman to be washing Jesus' feet with her hair. How many other men had she worshipped with her body? Um, In the same way, I experienced redemption of the physicality of my body. She did that. She, um, She experienced redemption by using a part of her body to worship the Lord. But through my experience in this kingdom, becoming a part of the kingdom of God, I learned how to worship. I learned to sing as loudly or as quietly as I needed to. I learned how to sit or stand or kneel or posture myself in worship. Even through tears, through dance, through speaking in tongues, through manifesting in the spirit. um, Every element of this was bringing God into the physicality of my life, a part of myself that I hated for years and years, and even today still struggle with. And I was able to redeem my body just as this sinful woman was. I still struggle with my sexuality. It's complicated, it's not easy. I still have threads in my life that are left over from sexual abuse and from me mishandling my own self. But it just matters so much less now that I see see that God has loved me through every second of it. And that even as I make more mistakes, and I know I will, that He's still there with me. Come on. Come on.
0: Amen. 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 Come on. Come on. Can we thank the Lord? Can we thank the Lord? Can we thank the Lord? Come on. Can we thank the Lord that we serve a God who lets sinners touch Him? Can, Can we thank the Lord that we're in a church? And can we thank God that God does such a healing in people that he brings them to a place where something they would have never shared before, they share because God is healing them and God is also using their testimony to heal others. And Rachel, we love you. We're so proud of you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's not easy. God brought Rachel to us in the very beginning and right in the front row. And I I remember your worship was extravagant and it still is extravagant, and I know God's doing a work in you, but I want you to know that we love you so much, and now she's, we love you so much, and she's a part of her, she's connected with her connect group, she's working in the ministry, serving on a team, and God is doing such a great thing, but it's so powerful that you would allow him to use your testimony in that way. Thank you. I want to, I want to finish this morning about Now that we've talked about the Pharisees' religion and the sinner's salvation, I want to conclude with the champion's ministry. I want you to know that Jesus was a different kind of preacher. I want you to know that Jesus was a different kind of prophet, and he was a different kind of creditor. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus was a different kind of preacher. There's no doubt in my mind that this woman had heard Simon before. There's no doubt in my mind that this woman had gone to the synagogue before. And you know what? There's no doubt in my mind that Simon had preached against sin before, and he was probably biblically correct. But here was the problem is that every time Simon in the synagogue or men like him preached against sin, she would walk out not transformed. Because here was the deal, is even though they would preach against sin correctly, she always knew that when she would walk out, they would look at her and say, no, you're not good enough. I mean, how could she completely wipe her past out anyways? Maybe they were right. And even if she were to try and change and move forward, Simon and all those around him always didn't have a problem making sure that she realized that there was no room for her kind in God's house. But one day she heard a different kind of preacher. Amen. This preacher spoke about sin too, guys. But he had compassion in his eyes. And he had love in his heart. And he showed no favoritism. Because even though he spoke against sin, he pointed out the people in the synagogue just as much as he pointed out the people in the streets. There was something different. About this preacher and one day she heard him speak, and one day she realized, after all, all these men that were hearing Jesus speak. You now, I'm going to say some, even while Jesus was preaching, even while Simon was preaching, there was no doubt in my mind that some of those men that were going to synagogue may have been her customers. But this preacher was different because this preacher demonstrated. The willingness. This preacher demonstrated that he was ready to welcome, receive, and utterly forgive all those who came to him with a heart of repentance. Number two is Jesus was a different kind of prophet. Hear me out. This is important. Jesus was a different kind of prophet. In Simon's world, clean things were not allowed to touch unclean things. In fact, anytime an unclean thing came in contact With a clean thing, the clean thing would become unclean. This paradigm fueled Simon's disdain for sinners. This is what gave Simon and his type permission to kick out tax collectors and outcast prostitutes and sinners. This is what ensured that his religion will remain pure and undefiled by people unworthy by so-called sinners, people who are unworthy of God. But Jesus flipped the paradigm upside down and radically changed the way people saw sinners and saw God. Jesus shattered a powerless system governed by fear and replaced it with a person who moved in power and freedom. Hear me out. Simon hated Jesus for the exact same reason this woman loved him, because he allowed sinners to touch him. Lastly, number three, and we'll finish and we'll pray. Jesus was a different kind of preacher. He is a different kind of prophet, and he was a different kind of creditor. You see, in this story, in the story that Jesus told Simon, it's very easy to get caught up in the amounts that each debtor owed. And in the real world, the focus is usually on paying the person back so that the more that a person owes, the more anxiety and stress that they feel because the more they have to do to pay their creditor back. Are you with me? But when you introduce us to a creditor who... Extraordinarily displays mercy and is extraordinarily generous a creditor who's prepared to wipe out all debts clean without any hope of ever paying it back The one who owes the most usually becomes the one who worships the most because when they realize how much work they had to do To get that thing paid off and when that debtor says it's completely wiped clean Their heart can't help but leap in heaviness in the weight of the debt that they've been carrying for so long all of a sudden begins to just drip away because this creditor whom they owed so much had just uncharacteristically done something they'd never heard of before and wiped away clean every single penny that they owed. Jesus is a different prophet. He's a different pastor. And he's a different kind of creditor who's preaching a different kind of gospel. He's preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know this morning before we pray, Jesus is prepared to offer you complete, free forgiveness. He's prepared to wipe your million-dollar debt out completely. He's prepared to erase the sins that are stained to your heart completely this morning. And here's the best part. You can have all of this right now without worrying, worrying about ever having to pay it back. You have it all right now. You say, well, what do I need to do? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Will you bow your heads this morning? Will you, this morning whether you owe or you think you owe $5, will you will you repent from that? And will you stop focusing on all the good things you're doing and realize that you can't afford to pay Jesus back because the price is perfection? And this morning, if you are feeling far from God, will you, will you just put your walls down for a moment? And will you take your debt to Jesus and will you say, I know that you are the merciful Father. I know, God, I know you are the merciful creditor. And I know that Christ paid it all on the cross. Right there, if you're feeling far from Him, would you, I know Christ paid it all on the cross. Will you repent from your sin just for a moment? Will you just embrace, I know that I am, I am far from you. I know that I There are things that I've done and thought and say. And I know it. But will you just give it to Jesus? So, Heavenly Father, I pray right now for everyone in this building and anyone in this building that feels like they don't know you, that if they were to leave this building this morning that they can't say they have a relationship with you. I pray right now that you would, Holy Spirit, do what my words can't even do. You regenerate. So, right where you're at, if that's you, you don't have to say anything out loud, but just in your heart, would you just be honest with Him? Even if your feelings contradict His Word, will you just partner with His Word in your life? So, Heavenly Father, come to you as a church, as a congregation, repenting of our sins knowing that we are sinners in need of a savior and we thank you and worship you because Jesus is our champion. We put our trust and our faith in him. And last prayer, I wanna pray. Holy Spirit, will you, will you come and will you lead us into new life? I just feel like that's what we're so afraid of repenting. We're so afraid of asking Christ into our life because we realize when we leave here, nothing's gonna change. But I want you to know, if you would honestly put your faith in him, the Holy Spirit will come in and do a work. Holy Spirit, will you help me walk this life out? I cannot do it on my own. And so, Father, we repent and we believe and we trust that your spirit can move us to a place we could never move ourselves. Lord, we love you. We honor you, and we give you all worship this morning because our sins were many, and you forgave them, you wiped them clean. And we ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, 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 amen. Before we dismiss, here's what I I do want to say is, If you have recently began to walk closer with Christ, if you've recently began to, man, I've been saying these prayers and I feel like I want to grow and I feel like I want to take the next step. The next step for you is to get into a connect. The next step for you is to find a place to find people that you could connect with, to find men and women who will celebrate and love you through this moment. And I guarantee you the Holy Spirit will do a work. And so if you've said these prayers or if you have been coming or even this morning, if you really want to take your walk to the next, step. I want you to consider joining the family. And if it's not this church, then find another beautiful church. We'll help you find another one in the Bay Area. But will you begin to grow and commit to that? And you'll be amazed at what Christ will do in your life. Amen. And so I want to just challenge and encourage you this morning. We love you guys so much. We'll see you back next Sunday. Have a wonderful week and have a wonderful day. God bless.